What's up, everybody? It's Bricky, Sarge, and Benny, and we are back for another episode of Life Through Our Lens. And we have another guest today. Uh, with us today is the media relations manager of the Iowa Wild, Ben Gislason. How are you, Ben? Gentlemen, uh, longtime listener, first-time caller for me. Uh, so it's fun to be on here with you guys. I've been looking forward to it since I know Bricky reached out to me a little bit ago. Obviously, uh, great to be on here with you guys, friends and now colleagues, coworkers, if you will, getting to do some podcasting together. So and looking forward to doing some uh, hangout time with uh, my new friend, Benny, as well. God, that was a crispy entry. We got to have you do some... Uh... <laughs> oh. Some work, man. That was nice, man. Right out of the jump, just lickety split. I do do. Uh, I I do contractual voiceover work. Uh, I think that the wild would be okay with me doing that. So if you guys need some VO stuff, and I, you might get the friend discount too. So keep that in mind moving forward. Yeah, we will only pay you in uh, Trident layers. So I just want to make what Drago makes. That's all I want to do. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Well. For the listeners out there, you kind of notice we have two Bens. We're going to be calling Ben, the guest, Giss. That's his nickname, so just so there's not any confusion. And so, Giss, what exactly is a media relations manager? It's almost more like what isn't a media relations manager. You kind of do a lot. And really, the one thing I've learned is even though we're at the American Hockey League level, you know, which for those unfamiliar hockey fans listening is essentially like AAA baseball. Um, to the major leagues. So we're that to the NHL, to the Minnesota Wild. But I, I know their media relations uh, director, Aaron Sickman, up at the National Hockey League level does a lot more than just that as well. So it's a, it's a jack-of-all-trades type position. It's a lot of handling local media, making sure that they get interviews lined up properly with any players or coaches that they're looking to get a hold of. You pitch a lot of stories to them to try to get your team in the news to help, again, drive traffic and drive marketing and drive people into the seats at your arena. You're daily in contact with the players. You're helping them uh, work through any kind of interviews they might have. You're also helping them connect with people who've reached out about interviews, writing press releases, handling some content stuff. Uh, and that's not a, a media relations manager universal role. That's more of something that I had in my, my bag of tricks. So the wild have asked me to do that. Um, so if you go to our social media or our Twitter or our Instagram, I think I'm on Instagram, but I don't totally know if they put stuff on there or not. Cause luckily I don't have to handle social media cause that is a bear. But if you go to our social, you'll see some videos, some, some stuff of me on camera, talking about players, talking about this, talking about that. And um, the real dream for me uh, is the play-by-play side, which um, is definitely not a role that all media relations managers do. I'm blessed that the opportunity I walked into at the beginning of last season with the Iowa Wild also allowed for some broadcasting. So I've, uh, I got to call, I think it was 13 uh, AHL games last year out of 34. Um, and it's looking like I might be getting to do even a, a few more than that this coming season uh, here in Iowa. So um, that's the Reader's Digest version of a media relations manager for the sake of time. That's it. How, I, we already told you, we talked about this before we hit record, like we don't have enough time to really go into all the things we want to go into. So I'm trying to, to keep it simple. I mean, we can talk oh about, my goodness. We, we can talk about the hours. I just, I've Holy spent buckets. putting together a player, player bios for all the guys, like their junior stats through their pro stats. And I'm currently working on Andrew Hammond, who's played forever 
So that's a lot of work and a lot of goalie stats that I'm just going through right now. You guys remember the Hamburglar? The Hamburglar. That's what I was going to say. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. So uh, we just resigned him. He was with the taxi squad in Minnesota last year. So I didn't get to meet him, but he has been on the wild roster here in Iowa before. And it looks like he will be again this coming season. So how many pages is your resume? Like, is it a novel? Yeah, that's right. Well, I've been told that in my profession, you're only, you should only have one. Uh, one page. So you have to be very concise with how you showcase your skills. And the other thing too, in the profession that I'm in is the paper resume is more of a supplementary document to go along with your video resume. And so that is where you put together your best calls, your best on camera work. Uh, and that is really the meat of when you apply anywhere. That's really what the majority of any hiring managers are looking for is what do you do on the broadcast? What do you do for your content? How are you on camera? And then if you could showcase some of your other skills on on the document form of your resume, that helps as well. Yes, I got to get some out there. Are there tryouts? Do they just show you a kick-ass play? (laughs) And they're like, hey, we want to hear your voiceover on it right now. Go. This This is your shot. So I have not had to do that. I do know that that is a thing. Uh, I heard a story about actually one of the guys that I really uh, look up to and I'm trying to, to, we all have people that inspire us and people that we take things from um, in the broadcasting profession. And Brendan Burke, who's the voice of the New York Islanders is one of my favorites. Um, And he was with the Utica Comets in the AHL, I think actually in the past decade. So not long out of the AHL now in the NHL, but I heard that the New York Islanders, essentially, they told him that he was coming in and he was going to call a game from the last season. I don't know if they told him what game it was going to be because, I mean, how do you prepare if you don't know what game it is? Maybe they just told him the opponent and then it was going to be obviously an Islanders game. And he had to go in and do a game live, essentially, but it was a game that had already been played previously. I remember, Gus, and if we would have recorded this, you could have uh, sent it in for your video resume, but Back oh at Sarge's and I's old house. The first time, like I was just getting to know you a little bit. I had no idea that you even were into play-by-play and we were playing NHL like 17 or something. And you go, turn down the volume. I'm going to call it. And I was like, the hell is this guy? I think he's doing. And it was awesome. It was awesome. It was so much better. It was so awesome. I was like, all right, this guy can play. Let's go. And that's, that's honestly for the majority of my life, how I, quote unquote practiced, if you will, all the way up really to, to 2016, where I graduated college, because I was playing hockey my whole life. So a lot of guys that go into broadcasting, they jump into it in college, and maybe they call their their colleges hockey or football or baseball or basketball, whatever they're trying to go into. But for for men and women that want to go into the broadcasting profession, um, that's usually the the plan. That's usually the route. For me, it was different because I was playing through college So I got done and luckily I had been doing a lot of that on my own time, just being an Xbox 360 owner, playing NHL growing up, being a PlayStation 2 guy when I was a kid. And I I did that as long as as I can remember really turning the volume off on on the games and doing that myself, even just in the basement by myself um, of my room when I was 10, 11 years old. And it really turned into a party trick later on, um, as you guys saw uh, at uh, the famous Castle Black, the former home of Matt Sargent and, and Zach Brickner, as well as uh, uh, my close personal friend, Charles Oss. Has he got a shout out on this podcast yet? Or is that the first time his name's come up? No, we're going to edit that out too. <laughs> yeah, he's, he's a loser. <laughs> he doesn't deserve it. He doesn't deserve it. 
Just kidding, Chucky. If we don't cut this, we love you, bud. We'll bleep and, out and his I'll, name. Hey, we got to give yeah. Bergie, Michael Lamberg, a shout out. Yes, can't yes. miss out, Michael. Absolutely. Good times. Good times with you four. That's for sure. 100%. And so I really wanted to ask this question, like, when did you know you wanted to do it? Sounds like you've always known. The story that I tell when asked this is my mom tells the story that when I was just old enough to talk, I was in the back seat of the car when we'd be driving places and I'd be talking to myself. And my mom at first thought that maybe that there was something wrong with her child because I was like very emotional and like into it, animated about whatever I was talking about. And I was, we had a big four door SUV. So I was way in the back when this was happening. So she couldn't quite hear what I was saying. And I think one day she asked finally, and I said, I'm, I'm doing a hockey game. So I apparently I had something, I had a game in my head. Maybe I'd watched a game the night before and I was, I was doing the play-by-play for it before I even really knew what play-by-play was. That's incredible. (laughs) That's incredible. I mean, yeah, that Brendan Burke, he had to call a game live. You were just, you remembered the whole thing. And I bet memory is pretty big for the play-by-play because I feel like the one thing I remember when you were doing it at our house was you're always on like a two or three second delay, which would mess with my mind. I mean, I would say that from a memory standpoint, it's even more important to have things get internalized that happen throughout the course of a season because for every great broadcast there's an even better prepared broadcaster I mean there's hours that go into a great broadcast because you have to have so many different stats and storylines and information about all the different players in the game to really do your job diligence but some of the best stats stories etc are the ones that you just internalize that you remember um, because Oftentimes, those are the easiest that will come to you at the right time. So when someone makes a play that reminds you of something that he did last season or two years ago, those are great little ways to give nuggets to your listener that otherwise you may not remember, you may not have written down at the time. But if you can remember them, um, memorizing can really help you. And obviously memorizing player names, numbers, what hand they shoot. Um, etc. That's obviously a very integral part of it too. Daily preparation. You got a opposing team. You're new. Get you get your shot. You need to go out there and memorize a boatload of stats about every single player on both teams. And you're looking up all of their pre stats as well. Colleges, juniors, the works. And that's supposed to be up top and ready to fire at any time. I would say that'd be extreme. Uh, I don't think anybody's got the RAM inside their head to to have it all up there. I I think one thing that I learned coming out of college was every broadcaster, at least all those that I've seen have basically like a lineup chart that they'll usually make themselves because the higher you go, the more stats that you will get from certain teams. So for example, when I started, I was in the United States Hockey League Junior. The information you got from opposing broadcasters was very minimal at that level. Now at the American League level, I mean, you'll get like dossiers on these players, right? Like they're they're 50 page digital documents that you get sent where each page is, is a full report on each of these players. Again, that's what I do for us, for Iowa. And then we send these to the other broadcasters when they come and play us. But the important part for me is to make sure that I pick out the necessary information, right? Because a lot of that stuff, you don't need to necessarily know, you know, that so-and-so scored a goal in 2005 with the Vernon Vipers in the BCHL, right? Like it's the, it's the cool stories. It's the crazy stats. It's the things that you want to have on hand because 
it might be relevant. And there's a great story about Doc Emmerich, the legendary play-by-play voice. He had all these player notes on players that, again, he was just doing the NHL year after year after year. So he knew he'd get to see these guys again. And I don't know the exact line, but he had a, a crazy story on a player. I think it was for Pittsburgh that he wanted to use. But the other thing about doing play-by-play is you can't just force stuff down people's throat. You have to pick your spots when you're going to tell a story. And he had a story that he was waiting and waiting and waiting. I think it was something like a decade to use. And finally something happened in the game where it like naturally gave him the segue into telling the story. And he, he tells us on a podcast or a documentary I watched about it. And he said he was just so happy because he'd been waiting to tell this story and it finally made sense to tell it. So yeah, long story short, it's more about prep than it is memory. The one thing I've been blessed with is I do have a, I'm a quick study. So usually by the second period, if I've, if I've done the first period of a brand new team, I'm usually pretty off book, so to speak, by the second on the opposing team. And I can I can be a little bit more creative in my call because it's a lot easier when you're not looking down, seeing who's number 43 for the Grand Rapids Griffins. If you know who that is off the top of your head, it allows you that much more room to be creative and to do your job better. All right. This is awesome, by the way. I want to get back into how you got to where you are. I think that's what I think people really want to hear because obviously you're super talented and I'm Truly means you will be a professional broadcaster someday. I 100% believe it. I can't tell you how sweet it was, even though it was NHL. It was one of those things like you kind of like look at it, like me and Ricky, you're like, this is fucking good. Like, this is legit. And it was like one of those moments is like, this is, I don't know. You always, I kind of always knew there's you're going to go down that path after that. But how that all start? Well, first off, I appreciate that. And it is something the journey that I'm on, it's funny how many people that really, as I get good news, like I want to share it with people, right? Like when I got the Iowa wild job and no offense to you guys, they didn't reach out to call you and let you know, but like, nonetheless, like you guys are, are clearly interested and you're paying attention, you're following. And, and to me, that's very special and very cool because it, like, it's, it's our journey, right? Like we, my family's invested a lot. My wife has obviously invested a lot now over the last two years, friends that have known I've wanted to do this for a long time. So um, I appreciate that Sarge. The journey again, really kicked off after college. I, I did a little bit in college during the summers. I would just get my hands on a contact for like a a midget tournament in Minnesota where you do, I literally did, I think I did 12 games in one day um, when I was in college one day. I mean, they were shorter games because it was like 13 year olds, but I mean, it was, I think it was 12 games. Um, it, it was a long day. I mean, it was like 8 a.m. to 10 p.m. It was crazy. So you really, it's, it's all about repetition. Um, it's just about getting in front of a microphone or turning down the volume on, on your PlayStation or your Xbox and, just getting comfortable and learning what your sound is because the, everybody has a different sound. I'm still perfecting my sound. I would argue that Doc Emmerich was still perfecting his sound until the day he retired two years ago. And, and so especially though early, and I was told this by a number of, of broadcasters that I reached out to because that's another component is the broadcasting profession is one that loves to help out the younger younger people. So when, when they get, when I get emails from younger kids that are saying, you know, what should I do? What should I do? I remember when I was in their shoes, reaching out to people and and every broadcaster I've ever reached out to has always been more than kind with saying, here's what you should do. 
send me your tape. I'll listen to it. I'll give you some critique. So that's what you do. Like you start calling games, you put together that, that video resume that I was talking about earlier in our, in our podcast here. And, and then you start sending it to pretty much anybody and everybody. I think when I, when I got done with school, I did girls lacrosse, boys lacrosse, girls soccer, boys soccer, football. I never did baseball or softball. I did basketball. And then of course I did hockey. I was just anything and everything to get comfortable and to make mistakes because boy, do you make just ungodly amount of mistakes when you first start. Um, I mean, it is like, I've had like minutes of dead air. I've had like, you know, just at one point I got goaltenders wrong. So I was calling one team's goaltender, the other team's goaltender for the entire first period. So it's like you, you, but you, but you have to do that at a lower level where nobody's going to notice, or if they do notice it's someone's mom or dad. Right. Um, so you, you, you learn how to, to get through those t- tough stretches. You learn how to make mistakes and, and get up off the mat. And then, so I was doing the college I played for. I did their games every weekend after I graduated. So I went back cause they did not have a play-by-play person. They actually just started streaming the year after I graduated. So I got that job, did their play-by-play for just home games in Moorhead. So I drove four hours on select weekends, didn't get paid a dime. They didn't pay for my gas. I just did it because I knew I needed to. And then I did Northfield Raider high school hockey as well. I had a connection down there. Um, And so I did, that was the two hockey that I did right out of college. After one year of doing those two, got the job in Des Moines with the Des Moines Buccaneers of the USHL. Um, that's where you really grit your teeth and grind. Like you do a lot, you sell, you help clean the arena before games. I mean, I drove the Zamboni one summer with the bucks. Uh, um, and it's funny. I told him in my interview, I said, if you want me to drive the Zamboni, I'll drive the Zamboni. Just let me call games on the weekend. That worked out later on. That wasn't, they weren't like, okay, we'll hire you, but you have to drive the Zam. That was more of a like extra money thing in the summer, but you do everything right. And, and then the obviously end goal is every level you move up a bunch of those peripheral things fall off, right? You don't have to do those. those I don't have to drive the Zam for the Iowa Wild, right? Like that, those things fall off. And then eventually if you make it, then you're just calling games. And that's that's the dream is just you're you're making a, a, a good paycheck just flying around with the team and, and calling games and, and kind of living the life uh, that the, the, the players get to make or get to have without obviously playing because – it would be horrible to watch me play in a National Hockey League game, that's for sure. Well, you covered a lot of ground right there, and I love it. I want to say that you saying that you used to fumble on words makes three amateur podcasters feel pretty good about themselves. <laughs> I still do That was nice to hear. <laughs> I still do all the time. I'm trying to think of if there's anything from this past season. I don't want to say it out loud. I'm trying, I'm trying to I want to have I want to get this job full time at some point. So I, I can't I can't yeah. point out my mistakes oh, on no. air, right? Only <laughs> highlights. <laughs> Only highlights. Yeah. It was all good. There were no mistakes at all. Yeah. I get so excited. I I, I'm doing it right now. My mouth can't catch up to my brain. And so I'll like, I'll stutter a little bit because I'm so excited about my question. That's kind of my ideal. It's like, oh, I want to get it out. But... And it's so easy to be fast, right? Mm-hmm. When you're, when you know you're being recorded or you know you're on camera or doing a game. And it, it's funny, if you, if you were to listen to one game from every year I've called hockey from this past year back to, let's say 2015, one of those midget tournaments, which by the way, I did that last year and I almost broke the DVD in half. I hated it so much, but like, it's a billion miles an hour back in 2015 compared to what it sounds like now. And again, it's all repetition though, because you get more comfortable and that's what you guys will experience too. I guarantee you probably already have guess. What are the the dead, like fill words that you're taught to cut out of your 
vocabulary. Like, like saying like, or, you know, that was something when we first kicked this off, we we're just like, oh my God, I cannot believe how many times we are saying these words to fill or um, we know what an um sound wave looks like at this point, because it is very abundantly clear. And it is sometimes I'm just like, what am I doing? I can't believe it's like, like, you know, um, so any, any, any thoughts on that to help us clean up on our side? Those are the big ones. I would almost answer that question by saying the best way to do away with those is to identify some phrases that you can use that aren't as glaringly obvious, like, um, you know, and replace them with the fact of the matter is we're trying to figure out how to do away with verbalized pauses. So they're a little bit more complicated. They're not quite as noticeable but I guarantee you that every professional broadcaster has them, but they're just a little more polished than like, um, you know, that'd be my answer to that question. I bet you were so good at writing papers when they were not quite long enough. And then you <laughs> went back. I never had that problem. I was always too long. I was the guy who reached the, the, the max. I reached the max and then I'd have to cut and I hate cutting because the one thing when you work in, in like reporting or sports, because I did a little bit of that out of college, you only get like a minute and a half if you're lucky on a sports cast to put your story together. And all broadcasters think every bit of the information they're sharing is important. So when you have to cut stuff, it's terrible. Um, so, yeah, I was I was definitely a cutter. I was not a, a, a stretching. I had no issue stretching uh, and meeting the minimum requirement on, on, on a writing assignment. What was your phrase you said, Billy Longfellow Wordsmith? Oh, Henry, Henry Wordsworth Longfellow. I learned that from my father. It might, that might honestly be a real person. I'm not 100% sure. I don't really care if it is because it, it, it explains that I talk too much in a very concise manner, which is hard for me to do being concise. Um, so yeah, it, it's not patented. People can use it. As I told you guys, Henry Wordsworth Longfellow. I love it. All right. So I want to get back to the jump from the Buccaneers and the USHL to the Iowa wild. Obviously you didn't call every single game with the Iowa wild this year, but could you tell the speed difference when you're calling a game out on the ice or is it all relatively similar when you're sitting up in the booth? No, there's a vast difference. I was lucky that when I got to Des Moines, so I started with the Bucks in 2017-18. And then 2018-19, um, I was able to connect with my now boss, the full-time play-by-play guy, director of communications, Joe O'Donnell, who is a prince of a man. Um, I connected with him in 2018-19 and did what I did with other broadcasters, right? Like, you know, hi, Joe, my name's Ben. I'm with the Bucks. I'm in town. I've seen your work. I respect your work would you have a look at my tape? And so again, tape resume reel tape is the old school term for it. No one sends people used to literally send VCR tapes of their reels to people. That was a thing. That's now just kind of a colloquial term, but anyway, I'm, I'm digressing. So I sent him my, my resume tape. He had a look at it. He liked it enough to say, Hey, we have a certain amount of games every year that he does on television. This is still how it works and how I got a handful of games this year. So he's on TV. He needs somebody to fill in on radio. So he offered me, I think it was two or three games in 2018, 19. And I remember that first game I did one thing I love doing because when you're on these games at the lower levels, you don't have a two man team for the most part, you're the only person. So you're the play-by-play and color commentator essentially. So 
luckily I, I, I played the game at a decently high level, so I can speak the lingo. I can analyze the play a little bit. So I remember trying to do that at the AHL level and guys are just hitting posts. I mean, scoring when I'm talking about, uh, you know, whatever I'm talking about, because at the USHL level, I had gotten accustomed to where I knew the speed of it. So I knew when I could get away with waxing on about some story, I did not get that at the American hockey league level. And what I've learned now, I did 10 games in 2019, 20, and then 13 last year. So over the course of that, again, we go back to repetition. I've learned when to pick your spots. And that was the biggest adjustment for me was things happen so much faster when you jump from the USHL to the AHL that as a broadcaster, you have to be very, very astute to how things are playing out, where the puck is, relatively speaking, to the net, to the offensive zone, to the defensive zone, et cetera, to be able to kind of go in and out of the play-by-play because you don't want to just do play-by-play the entire time because then people are going to get bored by that too. They want to have a little bit of a breather, if you will, and you want to be able to help teach the listener something too. Um, so there's a definite difference between um, levels. And I know that there is a, a difference between the AHL and the NHL because my boss, Joe O'Donnell, has been filling in for Bob Kurtz in Minnesota the last, I think, three years now. And he said that when, he, much like my experience when I made the jump, he was like, I got to be way more tight. I got to be tighter with all the stuff that I do because there's way less room for error. And all of a sudden you can find yourself talking right over a great goal. If you're not careful. We're all just sitting here like, wow, that's so cool. I I'm, I'm almost speechless uh, in a way. And what I was hoping we could do is post your demo tape, like as like a teaser for this. No. Okay. Never mind. I'll send you, I'll send you you a clip from it, but we are going to, we're going to repost the, that Brickner, the one we were talking about. He's got style. Yeah. We are posting that. Yeah, that, that one was, was so sick. weird. That whole thing was so weird. It was yeah. just like bizarre. Like it happened overnight. It was very strange. And like we didn't even know it. Like that it blew up. Like the Bucks did. And my owners got like pissed at me for that. Like, why didn't we capitalize on this? I'm like, what do you mean? Like we were all over. We we're all over the hockey world. What do you mean capitalize on it? <laughs> yeah, what? <laughs> there was like legitimately five hundred thousand views on this video. Yeah. I wasn't yeah. sure what we were supposed to have done with it, but I remember like getting an email and I was like, I don't know. I feel like we, this is good. We're getting, we're getting some press out there, but, but neither here nor there now at this point. So you mentioned that you call a lot of different sports throughout your career so far, kind of testing the waters. It seems like people end up sticking with just one. So two pronged here. Is that commonplace that you just pick a sport and you have to stick to that moving forward? And you also mentioned dead air. So I was curious to know your opinion on the hardest sport to call out there right now. High lie. High lie would be the hardest sport to call out there right now off the top of my head. No, I'm just, I'm just, I'm just joking around. Um, <laughs> what is that? <laughs> um, you ever play high lie? I, th- I want to say it's played in Europe. Uh, I'm, we're not going to get into it, but look it up. You guys okay. can look up high lie later on. Uh, football to me was the hardest because when I look at the major American sports, football, baseball i would throw those two in the same broadcast vein because there's a lot of time where things aren't happening i would compare hockey and basketball together because hockey and basketball the play's always happening there are not a lot in basketball there are barely any whistles and in hockey there are, are just a few more whistles maybe than basketball and so that's a, a much similar type call um, and i enjoyed doing basketball second to hockey i don't see myself ever doing basketball again because those seasons don't mesh 
Um, they obviously are going on congruently where you will see guys, at least in the hockey realm, oftentimes do some form of baseball in the summer, right? Like look at Anthony LaPanta for the Minnesota wild. He's doing, you know, TV play-by-play for the Minnesota wild during the winters. And then in the summers and in the spring, he's doing hosting on, on now Bali sports network. He's not doing the play-by-play, but he's still broadcasting with Bali sports. You'll see that a lot. You'll see some guys that do baseball in the summer uh, it's a nice change of pace to Gary Thorne, for example, another guy that I look up to greatly. He was the voice of my childhood growing up watching ESPN hockey night. I think he's been the voice of the Baltimore Orioles now on television for, for as long as ESPN hasn't had hockey. I was really bummed they are not having Gary Thorne back for their resurgence of hockey on ESPN, but that's, that's a different story. But you'll see most people do one or two sports. I, I, two sports normally, I would say, Benny, to answer your question because – a lot of times, too, people do need to have a paycheck in the summer, too, right? Because Anthony LaPanta is not doing anything for the Minnesota Wild, really, in the offseason. So, again, I don't know this to be fact, but I would imagine that he makes X for Minnesota from months September to May or June, depending on – or probably May because the playoffs, he doesn't do the games. But And then he probably does – his next paycheck comes from the Twins or, again, Bali Sports North to do – the hosting for the twins. So um, you will typically see that a lot. I'm not sure if I'll be doing something like that. If I ever get to that point, mainly because I don't think my wife will let me work in the summers. Um, So I I think she's going to put me on full, eventually, hopefully kid patrol in the summers. Um, And she wants to have me around too. Uh, We do enough traveling in this business and wives and, and significant others of broadcasters are a very special type of person because it takes a lot to marry a broadcaster because you don't really get to see him for nine months, especially in the hockey world, because it's a long season and the travel is insane at times. Yeah. One more follow-up question uh, on the dead air. So I don't know where I saw this, but somebody was talking about golf and specifically the masters talking about the masters being the hardest event to call in all of sports, just because it's, a four day, 24 times four hours of just constant communication. Any sentiment on that? Well, Jim Nance is the best broadcaster in the business period. I think, I mean, that guy is pure velvet when you're listening to him on the air and he can do it all right. Like in basketball, football, the masters want to say he's done some Olympics at some point, but I, then again, I'm not positive on that, but he's just tremendous at what he does. And I would agree with you, Benny. I think that, golf when you think about golf compared to all the rest of the sports there are times where you just know you're going to be talking like in hockey it's when there's a scoring chance in basketball if someone's kicking it out for the three you're going for a dunk in football they're on the goal line there's no real method to golf sometimes you do want to say what's happening other times you just shut up and you let the the picture tell the story right and there is a, a way to equate that to hockey and like, for example, like, like Bob Cole, who's one of the, the legendary voices of, of, of uh, Canadian hockey. He was the voice of hockey in Canada for a long time. He called the final game at Maple Leaf Gardens. I think it was in 1992, um, which was a cathedral of hockey for the Toronto Maple Leafs for, for really the good years of the Toronto Maple Leafs. Now they've kind of had some bad years since um, as far as Stanley Cups go. But the final minute of the game I forget what he said, but he said, you know, let's let the let's let the ghosts or let's let the fans of the Maple Leaf Gardens bring you home. And then he just he didn't say anything for the final minute of the game. 
and he just let the let the fans tell the story. You could hear you. He was on television. You could see the crowd. You could hear him cheering. You could hear you know, the players in the bench tapping their sticks. And so there is a time to be quiet. And dead air can be a weapon for you if you know how to use it. But the awkward dead air is when you can be working your way out of the business very, very quickly if you have it too much. Thank you for clarifying that. That's, that was a great answer. Jim Nance does kick ass. I'm pretty sure that Jim Nance went from the Super Bowl to the Masters this last year because they shuffled him around. So just to kind of show that, yeah, he goes from the biggest event in the U.S. to probably the second biggest or even the the biggest. He could do high life. Jim Nance could do high life. <laughs> no problem. I guarantee it. And he it would be electric. Life. It would be. Could he do NASCAR, though? I'm not sure I've watched over one minute of NASCAR in my entire life. So I can't even, and that's no disservice to NASCAR fans, but it's just not my, not my bread and butter. So I, I'm not even really sure what a NASCAR play-by-play sounds like, except for that guy who says boogity boogity in Talladega nights. That's about, <laughs> that's about my only real sample of, of play-by-play in NASCAR. All right. This is a, Really stupid question, but I just pictured this in my head. So you mentioned you were driving the Zamboni. Were yeah. you ever like, and Ben Gisselton is taking it right and he's going <laughs> out the boards? No, but I did get I did get um, removed from the Zamboni job during our training camp in the, our tryout camp in the summer, my second year. I got kind of rushed into it, and I shouldn't. I wasn't good enough at driving the Zam, and it was like ninety five degrees in Des Moines. So our ice was terrible. And I swamped the ice in between games of our trial camp. And our GM came down and forcibly removed me from the Zamboni in front of like parents, scouts, everybody. I, I literally got like the horse collar off the Zamboni. I'll give him credit though. He did go like, this isn't your fault. You shouldn't have had to have been out here. Like we should have had somebody else to staff it. Um, so he didn't read me the riot act at least, but it was, uh, that was one of the funnier experiences that I experienced non-broadcasting in my profession. It was embarrassing. Definitely. That's hilarious. <laughs> All right. I got to ask, what would be your dream event to call? And it, this could be past or present. I'm trying to think like past. I mean, really just any game seven Stanley cup final. If I get to do that at some point in my life, I can damn near just die after probably. Um, I mean, that would be the years that I've thought about getting to do that. I mean, just the drama, the storylines that happen in a seven game series, all the hatred, all the injuries that guys come back from injuries and, and the blood feuds that you have throughout the course of a playoff run in the Stanley cup playoffs. I would, I would relish relish and it'd be a privilege to do that at some point in my life. Um, so to go into the past, any any game seven, any NHL game seven would be an, an incredible experience. All right. I have a hypothetical for you. So All right. I like these. If you were to take the jump to the pros, would you switch sports? Well, technically we're in the pro. I'm in the pros right now. Technically. Oh, you know speaking. what I you know what I mean. Would technically you technically speaking, Matthew? Yeah. <laughs> I'm talking about like NBA. Oh, knock them down. Like, <laughs> like would you would you take the Charlotte are they the Hornets? Charlotte Hornets position, color commentator. Well, definitely not color commentator because I would need to have had played in the NBA to be the or, color commentator for the what, Charlotte Hornets. Okay, I don't so even I, know the difference. Dude. Definitely, I, my jump shot's rough, but I would probably not take that job. One, I would not be qualified for it. And two, I mean, I, I've had a 29-year love affair with this game. 
I mean, my Twitter bio literally used to be just a boy who fell in love with the game. I mean, that's at the at the heart of the matter. That's what this is. I mean, it's a guy who just wants to be around the game and loves the people of the game. I just I love our sport so much that I just I want to do whatever I can to be around it. And even if that means someday if if I were to step away from broadcasting, I would still want to find a way to work for at a hockey team um, because I just think that this game has given me so much and I want to give back to it. And I just, the people that I've met in my life, I mean, the reason I know you guys is because of hockey. Like I went to school Mm -hmm. to play and ended up playing with, I won't say his name again, but then he introduced me to you guys. Um, So the people that I've gotten to meet through the sport that I've played and now work in are um, very important to me. And, and, And I think that not that you wouldn't meet great people in basketball too, but I just, this is the world I know. It's the world I love and it's the world I want to stay in. All right, now off that, and the hockey community really is an awesome community. I literally just played open skate last night for the first time in like two and a half years, and it was awesome. So, so Barry? Of course not. I'm, <laughs> I'm a setup man. He's a, he's a locker room guy. Locker room, yeah. Hey, me too, me too. Oh, my goodness. Yeah. Well, anyway, so you mentioned playing. Do you think that's an advantage for you? Uh, you mentioned speaking the, the slang, but I'm more talking about the locker room. Like you mentioned, having – you know, being a locker room guy, I bet it's an advantage for you to talk to these players on the Iowa Wild and hopefully on the next level too. My response would be twofold. One, from the broadcast standpoint, I definitely think it's an advantage. I was never an incredible hockey player. I do think that I was, I thought the game very well. I understood the game very well. And I think that that's only grown. I've, I've always joked with people that I talk to about, you know, when you start hashing out glory days, I've always said, boy, I wonder if taking all that I've learned now being in the locker room with great coaches, with coaches that understand this sport, the 1% of the 1%, right? These coaches that teach the game so well, like, I wonder how much better I could be if I could like take that knowledge and go back and insert it into 18 year old Ben Gislason, because like the way that I look at the game now is very different than I looked at the game based off the past five years of what I've learned being shoulder to shoulder with some very high end hockey thinkers. So when I do the games though, it pays off because there are times when, as you mentioned earlier, Sarge or uh, Bricky talking about kind of having to call the game as close to live as you can, but there is some delay. There are times when I'm seeing a play develop where I'm like, well, I know where I'd go here. And then when that play happens, I'm like, all right, in my head, I'm thinking Dewar's going to center this puck. So, you know, to Dewar who centers, like I'm ready for that call because in my head, I'm thinking, well, this is what I would do there, what I think he should do there. And that's not saying I always get it right, but just to have that that predisposition of understanding the natural progression of a breakout or a forecheck or a, an umbrella power play, those things definitely help me. I know for a fact it helped me get the first job in the USHL because other applicants they had, that was something that stood out for me was, well, this guy played in division three college hockey, which is essentially division two college hockey, because there isn't any division two in, in the college hockey realm, like there is in football or, or, or basketball or baseball. Um, so that definitely helped me get a job. And, and I think it still helps me to this day, like I was saying, because there are times where I can sort of look ahead at what I think is going to happen. And then I can get ready in my head for what's going to happen. And then I can call the play appropriately. In the locker room, I would say it's also an advantage because I get what that dynamic is like. I know to not step on the logo in the center of the room. I know 
the little things, the pranks, the jokes. I get that when somebody's making fun of me, it's actually a good thing because the one thing I knew I didn't want to be in the Iowa Wild locker room was invisible because usually the people that aren't getting talked about or aren't getting made fun of within reason are oftentimes the players that nobody wants to talk to. So I remember, I, I forget, I think it was Cody McLeod, who is one of the most feared fighters in my memory, played for the Colorado Avalanche. He was on the team this year um, and is going to be again next year. A terrific guy. But I remember like it was two months into the season. And it was a short season. I walked in there and he started giving me grief about something. And I walked out going like, all right, like this is good. Like this is this is what I want to happen. Like I want to feel like the guys are comfortable around me. And there's no better way to be comfortable with someone than have somebody, you know, giving you shit, right? Like that's that's the perfect way to to feel comfortable in a room with somebody. So I definitely think it's an advantage to have what I have in my background and it's helped in the broadcast and in getting along with players for sure. That's so true though. Like if you like someone, you're almost mean to them in a way, like you give them (laughs) shit. And if you, and if you don't, or don't know someone, you're like really polite. (laughs) It's so backwards. (laughs) I had a guy in college think that he, I hated him for the first half of his freshman year. And I loved the kid. He was awesome, but I was giving him so much grief that he came to me at a party one night and was like, why don't you like me? And I felt so bad. I was like, Oh my gosh, no, like, that's not the case. Like, I really like you. You're a great dude. And I think I like pointed to somebody else in the team and I was like, I never talked to that guy. I don't make fun of him. Don't like him. (laughs) (laughs) Any ball breaker over here, just dishing it out all night. (laughs) Hey, you got it. You got to be able to take it. You got to be able to dish it. As you guys know, in the sports world, that's for sure. Okay. So let's just pretend. So obviously your dream job is to be play by play in the NHL. Let's just pretend Every team's play-by-play guy got fired. It's a turn. It's a turn of the guard. So we're not stepping on any toes here. For your like, just it can be for the city, for the team, whatever. What is your dream team to call? Easy answer: Minnesota Wild. Absolutely no question. Simple answer there. Is that a corporate answer or the real answer? No, no. <laughs> ask ask anybody. That ask my wife. That's that's the dream job right there. And being from there, you know. I was at the first game, I saw Darby Hendrickson score the first goal. Family's been season ticket holders since day one. I mean, I know that organization inside and out. And, you know, we could sit here and start going over the, was it the 0405 playoff run roster, like the Cliff Ronnings and, you know, Philip Kuba. Richard Park. Those, yeah, some of those <laughs> names, man. Like, you know, to get to do that and to get to be the voice of that team would be an absolute dream come true. And I'm still hopeful that could be a possibility. Um, I'm certainly in a good spot to potentially have them know who I am. Um, that's the first things first is have them know who you are. And, you know, right now it's a, it's a great situation that I'm in with the Iowa Wild and, you know, turning 30 here in the fall and I'm at the American League level and I'm getting to call games. And my boss is continuing to up his, his level of games that he calls the National Hockey League level. So um, I think he's hopeful and I'm hopeful that eventually maybe that transition is coming for him. And then maybe that transition then would be coming for me to take over his role full-time here in Iowa. With that in mind, I can tell you that my boss would never, he, like every time I've sort of like probed with him about it, he just like, he won't even talk about it because he's so serious about it. He doesn't want to like jinx it. He doesn't want to, you know, he, he, he's so focused on the now. And I would think that that's the same way that I operate here too. Like the one thing my boss has taught me is you can't take anything for granted in this business. There's a million reasons why people don't get jobs. And there aren't many reasons why people do. Um, so he, he's definitely put himself in a great spot to potentially be that next radio voice. 
I certainly hope he is for not only personal reasons for me, but also because he is just a wonderful human and a terrific boss and has sheltered me and harbored me into this role in big ways. Um, so it's a great spot to be and I'm continuing to pursue that dream and hopefully I can wind up moving back to Minnesota someday and then seeing you fellas a lot more too. My question is what is the difference or what sort of strategy is a strategy change from radio to TV? More talking on radio and going back to the dead air thing, you got to let a TV game breathe more. So for example, Benny, what's your last name? Miller. So if it's Miller, Brickner and Sargent on a line together, if I'm on the radio, I need to make sure that I'm telling people where and what's happening because as the great Al Shaver, Hall of Fame voice of the Minnesota North Stars said, you have to imagine your listeners are blind because on the radio, you essentially are. So Sergeant's got the puck at the left circle. He's going to move it to the left point where Brickner is going to work his way towards the slot. He finds Miller on the back door. They score and nice shot from the right post by Benny Miller. And it's a two, one game. That's so that a point for all three of us, too. Let's yeah, go. Yeah. Nice. Like the lamp, baby. Like the lamp. So it'd be something like that. We're on TV. It might just be Sergeant finds Brickner to Miller. They score. Like that would be a little bit more because, again, on TV, you can see if you're watching the game what's happening. So it's a little more about artistic decisions to choose what you say and when you say it on television. When on radio, it's all about painting the picture, baby. Speaking of painting picture, those stories, those anecdotes you're talking about, are you whipping those more out on TV or radio? I got to imagine it's got to be TV. Definitely more so TV. There's a place in both in both mediums, for sure. But on TV, you don't have to be as concerned about telling every little detail that's happening because people can watch it. And you have a color commentator for the most part. Having done, I did, I did my first TV game this year. And I had to do it without a color commentator. That was tough um, because you rely on your color commentator, the person who's the analyst, who's telling you inside stories, who's breaking down the game. That's hard to do. Like I had to do a five minute on camera monologue straight through to start the night. And I went back and watched the tape and I just hated it. I just hated it. I was so stiff and tense because normally when you start a broadcast on TV, I'm Ben Gisselson. I'm here with Matt Sargent, Matt, what'd you think of last night's game? And then you, and then you talk, right? Like there's a back and forth, not just me holding a microphone talking for five straight minutes and I can't make a mistake or else we have to start over again. So that was a, that was a fun baptism by fire for me, my first television game, but definitely more stories on television, but they're good to have for radio too, because there's times in, in radio where you have glass breaks, you go to commercial, you come back and they're still fixing the glass. Perfect story time. Perfect story time right there. I bet you that's like your time to shine. You bet you got that little Doc Emmerich notebook popping open. I almost like to take more of, um, oh man, what is his name now off the top of my head? He does basketball. He also does the Super Bowl on radio every year. Not Mike Breen. Kevin Harlan. Oh gosh. Kevin Harlan. I took the Kevin, I almost take the Kevin Harlan approach a little bit more. Like you guys remember the streaker video was it two <laughs> yes. Super Bowls ago where he did like to the 40 to the 30, like he was commentating what was happening. I remember we had, we had like a really long delay where a net was having issues in Sioux Falls when I was with the bucks and, you know, I was going and here comes the Sioux Falls training staff onto the ice. We've got some ice maintenance managers as well. And it looks like they're bringing twine with them. They're going to have to retwine the net. There's a hole in the, like I was trying to make that entertaining. 
Um, so I almost took the Kevin Harlan approach to it where a good broadcaster can make paint drying entertaining. Right. Um, and I don't, I definitely didn't do as good of a job as Kevin Harlan did, but I like to think I did my own little version of it. So there's a lot of different ways that you can go about it. Stories or being a goofball like I was in that situation. We were talking about radio versus TV here. What is the most sought after position in broadcasting, both radio and TV? And that might be too difficult of a question if it is kind of different segues, but there's not many slots, it seems like, to be a broadcaster on radio for a specific team. And then I was curious, like Sports Center anchors, ESPN, is that also in the same realm or are they taking different paths to get there? I'd say at some point you have to split off. Um, I think there are people that do play-by-play and sports reporting, if you will. I interned at CARE 11 in the cities, the NBC affiliate there when I was in college. And I remember my boss, another just, I've had some great bosses, Dave Schwartz, um, who's still there and is an awesome uh, sports, sports anchor for them. He said, if I were you, I'd probably pick one and run after it. Because at that time, I wasn't sure. My dad was in reporting for 25 years. He was with KSDP Channel 5 in Minneapolis, St. Paul. So I'm blessed that I have him as um, you know a mentor as well. He didn't really do a whole lot of play-by-play. He did a little bit when he was in college. But he again, he picked the reporting route, went after it, and had great success in it. So I was up in the air between the two of them. And, and that boss that told me to pick one was a big a big decision for me because I've listened to them and that's what I've done. You'll see guys do that at the lower levels, the higher levels, you won't see it as much. I do know that on ESPN this year, John Butchagrass is probably going to do both because he's done some play-by-play for college hockey. And he's been a, a, a huge proponent of the sport of hockey on ESPN, even during the, the quote dark years, if you will, when hockey wasn't getting as much pub on ESPN as we all would have liked to have gotten. Um, so that'll be great to have him, um, you know, get to, get behind the mic for National Hockey League game because that that guy's been a steward of the game on ESPN for so many years. But I would say that it's really one or the other. And what was your initial question, Benny? I forget what uh, the first trunket of that question was. Trunket, great word. Dynamite word right there. (laughs) You're full of nice just vocabulary. I I really appreciate that. I wanted to know how competitive it is. Again, there's not – it doesn't seem like there's that many slots for yourself to even be calling – some of the games that you're calling right now, how can, you know, cutthroat, give me the, give me the mm-hmm. details. How dicey is it out there for you to get us position? Well, most guys that get to that national hockey league level have done what I've done um, and have grinded away. For example, there's a guy in Anaheim who's the radio voice out there who I think, I think he was almost 50 when he got his first NHL gig. So he'd been doing it for like 35 years in the mm-hmm. minors. So that had to be a hell of a party he threw when he got that job. But it, it, it depends. It's all about timing um, and who you know. Uh, and honestly, partially just hand to God, too. Like, I mean, for me, I would never be with the Iowa Wild if I wouldn't have come to work for the Des Moines Buccaneers. And I was actually very close to taking a different job before I got the Buccaneers interview. So I almost went to the North American Hockey League to get my start. So, again, there's a lot of it is just – you know, like I said, hand to God, you wind up in a place and then all of a sudden here I am four years later with a wife and working in the American Hockey League. So it's funny how things work out. But and I think you previously mentioned too, like kind of TV or radio. I yeah. think that I think that varies on on who you talk to. I would probably do either. I would be more more probably catered to do TV because I've worked on my on camera abilities a lot on these past few years. And I also, I grew up watching games on television. That's my, that's my modem. I think older people are more prone to like the radio because that's what they grew up 
listening to, right? So I, and I think it's different for everybody. I, I, I mean, for me, I, 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 like I said, I want to call that game seven. So I want to get to the national level at, at some point where some guys, they just want to get to the national hockey league level because then they can make a good paycheck and just do games and not have to do all the other things that come with working at the minor league level. Um, so it really, it varies per person and not everybody is dreaming or hell bent on making it to the absolute top of the mountain. And I think there are a lot of people that do start there. And then as life unfolds and as you get set or you find a place where you love living and you don't want to mess with that, you say, I found a spot that I'm content with and I'm good here. And this is good for me. It's good for my family. And every broadcaster also definitely talks about, especially married broadcasters, they talk about an exit strategy because there's a certain point in life, I think, that you get to where this grind needs to stop. And if you don't get out of the, the minor league level by a certain age, and again, it, it depends on who you're talking to, but you want to spend time with your kids, right? Like you, you want to have those summers off because you want to be able to spend time with kids and family and your wife that you maybe don't get to spend with them during the season. And so to get that quality of life back, maybe you have to take a step back. Maybe you got to step out of broadcasting that does happen. And it, and it happens to good broadcasters too, because as you mentioned, Benny, it is competitive and there are, there are plenty of tremendous broadcasters who've just never gotten the break. And that's a thing. Um, that's a definite thing that happens in this business because it is, it's all talent based and it's all timing and who, you know, based as much time as you want to put into it. They don't care if they don't like your call no matter how many years you've done behind the scenes, working your way up. If they don't like your call, it doesn't matter. All right. little segue, just a, just a small one. How important is the radio voice itself? Right. I wanted to know that because I listened to the call that they sent me the other day, pretty dynamite voice. I was like, Oh, this, this kid's got it. He's got the, he's got the vocals working. How important is that factor to be chosen? Well, I'm glad you like it. When I have listened to that call for the first time in, since 2017, when, when Zach asked me about it, I was like, I shuddered. I was like, oh man, I didn't like how I sounded then. I, I mean, it kind of like I said in the previous answer, it, I mean, it, it really is everything. And there isn't one way to, to get there either. I mean, I know guys that have super deep, you know, the golden voice, right? Like the deep bellowing bravado voice. I don't have that. So you find your way, you find your niche, you find what you're good at, and then you develop it. Uh, the one thing I'm consistently working on is, is trying to get my voice a little bit deeper, which I have been told it just comes with age too. Part of it is that. Because I love that. Go, so you're, yeah. you're actively working on making your voice deeper. Uh, you can oh, start I, smoking cigarettes. <laughs> <laughs> I've been told that. I've literally been told that. Um, not like, hey, go do this. But like people have said it is, it is a viable option to get that gravelly voice. Um, Think about it. <laughs> <laughs> um, but voice, it is, cancer. Exactly. Exactly. Quality of life, NHL, national voice. But it, it, it's it's a constant. It's, you know, you're, I, I'm, I'm constantly, I go back and, and listen to every game that I've done. And I listen, I take notes. I like this. I don't like this. Do more of this. Do less of this. Here are your crutch phrases like we were talking about earlier. Here's something you say all the time. Stop saying it. So it's a, it's a constant. You're working your way towards bettering yourself as much as you can. And you can't spend as much time as you want on it because you have other duties at this level. But you have to spend time on it and you can't forget about it or else you'll find yourself behind the eight ball. I don't know if I'd miss this if I was just listening too intently in the beginning. But I wanted to understand what the, the day-to-day is of somebody in your position. You mentioned that in the offseason, a lot of guys might pick up another gig, different sport. 
like you said, baseball or hockey, something like that, that doesn't conflict scheduling wise. What is your day to day like right now? We're in the off season. I know you're obviously preparing for next season. Can you break it down for us? What a day in the life is? Yeah. uh, And, and what my day in the life looks like right now could wind up being very different. Should I end up getting the full-time play-by-play job here? I mean, I do work full-time for the Iowa wild. It is a full-time job. Um, The summers are, it's almost a little bit like being a teacher where you work insane hours. I shouldn't write this down. The first week of our season last year, I think I worked, was it 80 or 90 hours? It was nuts. Like it was insane. I like almost had a panic attack after the first game. Cause I was like, I have to go get up. And then we had back to back Friday, Saturday home games. And I was like, I got to get up and do this again tomorrow and get to the rink. Cause we had to test at 7.00 AM. Um, Cause I was in a team bubble. So it was crazy. The amount of hours that you work throughout the course of a season, but then you get to the off season and it's probably different depending on what your job is, but ticket sales guys, and gals, they got to be working all summer, right? Like they, uh, corporate sponsorship, they're selling all summer. There's so many different, different interweavings of an organization, but for the media, the players, none of them are from here. So they go home. I'm not fielding interview requests. Content's low. So I, I was very, very lucky to basically be told like, if you want to go home, like to see your family for a week, go. If anything comes up, let me know. This is my boss telling me this. And um, you know, work from home, work remotely. If you got you want to take a trip, bring your computer with you, work remotely, do whatever you need to do, decompress, relax, because you have to, because the hours you work during the course of the season are so insane. So now things are picking back up again, because again, like being a teacher, you got to make sure that you have your ducks in a row before the, the, the season starts. You got to make sure that again, the bios I was talking about, we got a new roster this year. So we, we got to have, I got to build those bios out fresh, make sure they're set to go lots of different forms and documents and, and different stats. Again, with that 50 page stat booklet we were talking about, I'm redoing that. I'm redoing record books. If we set any from last year, which we didn't because it was a short year, but it's just a lot of preparation, making sure that when the season gets here, you don't have to completely sprint through it. Cause last year I didn't get that um, opportunity because I was hired three weeks before the season started because of COVID they weren't hiring anybody new throughout COVID. And so they knew the season was coming. They needed to fill my role and they hired me. Um, so I had to do a summer's worth of work in three weeks. Again, explains the 90 hours. I don't envision my first uh, week of this season being 90 hours. At least I hope it won't be. So it's, it's, it's very much feast or famine. Um, so right now, like today, I, I, was, I was working from home today. Um, we've been going into the office primarily, but today was a lot of bio work. We had two new signings go out. So I wrote two press releases, but um, yeah, it's, it's, it's a lot of preparation right now is what's going on. I just got a lot of questions. I got a lot to fire out fire. right now. This is, this is phenomenal. I'm loving this big sports guy. So like the iceberg analogy, right? Like we only see the tip of the iceberg. What is a standard preparation for a game look like? Well, I'll pull up my game night checklist that I have on my phone here that I check off as I do things throughout the course of the day. I got to get a game sheet to the coaching staff, which is just basically something I create in um, an Adobe project file, um, which shows the rosters and all the updated stats for the day. I get that to all of our coaches. I get the coaches, any Minnesota brass that we have that comes into, it comes into town for the games to watch players, to watch the prospects. I get them the same thing. So I'll get all of our staff. 
a copy of that stat booklet that I send out to any media that requested or any visiting broadcasters. Make sure all the stats and bios are updated. Make sure that my boss has everything he needs to do the game at night. Um, there might be an interview I need to shoot that day. We shoot a keys to the game segment every day where I get on camera and give a two-minute monologue about what to watch for tonight, new players involved, who we're playing, how the Rockford Ice Hogs have done against the Wild this year, considering Ice Hogs are in town tonight. I make sure the press box is all set up, so our printer's plugged in. I make sure that there are stats and notes for all the people that are attending that need to get them. That will be sometimes digital. Last year, we couldn't hand out any of that because of COVID, so it was all digital. This year, I'd imagine we might go back to a more um, hard copy version. I make sure that we send a parking list to anybody who needs to get in for parking on the given night. So if Bill Guerin's coming down, I got to make sure he's on the parking list or else someone would be really, really upset with me if I forgot that one. Bunch of other clerical stuff just with the press box and with, um, you know, making sure that all of our off-ice officials, the guys who take guys and gals who take stats uh, on the game and make sure that those get uploaded to AHL TV for live scoring. We have a full staff of people that do that. Shots, penalties, goals, assists. They do reviews for goals. I'm the one who manages them. Um, so I make sure they have everything they need to accomplish their tasks. I write uh, a post-game recap after the game. I do post-game interviews after the game. I set up any Zoom calls with national media that might want to talk to a coach or a player. Yeah, that, that's not so even you're all, half of it. You're literally all over the place. So every single day there's a game. You're just busy as hell all over the to, place to talking to a million year, people. To start the year last year, Again, we had the test in the morning, which made us get there in the morning. It made no sense for me to come back home after I tested at 7 a.m. At the start of the year, when I hadn't quite figured out all my processes and didn't have it all figured out yet, it was at the arena 7 a.m. to 1 a.m. Wow. And so how much of that goes away when you're on the road? It's because you're not getting parking passes, all that stuff. So that's probably much easier. a lot easier. Yeah, much, much easier. It's, it's a much simpler setup for an away game. There are still duties. I have to watch the games. I got to clip highlights that we send to news stations for the games, local news stations that want to run highlights, but I'll, uh, I will also do another post-game recap write up for those as well. So I do need to watch the games, but I do that in my Lulu shorts on the couch. So that's nice and easy. And your brain's like a supercomputer. I don't know how you <laughs> keep all that stored in there. I don't, I take a lot of notes. I got, I got a lot of these guys. I got a lot of these. There's a lot of notepad phone things that I have. And, and boy, my phone alarms are going off like every hour on the hour on game day because I can't forget to do stuff. And if I don't set alarms, I will forget. So there's, I'm constantly pissing people off when there's alarm, alarms going off around people. My wife drives my wife crazy. Wow. So how long does that take? You know, that short list you had there. Well, now it probably, I'm usually done with most of my duties now again this is towards the end of the season after i figured out like oh i can do this quicker by doing x or i don't have to do this right now because i can do two for one at the same time because you, you learn how to be more effective the more you do something i would probably i'd get there at again 7 a.m to test then i might kind of mill around a little bit in the morning and wake up you know and have a cup of coffee get game sheets going out um, to the coaches i'd be done by probably two o'clock in the afternoon, then there are things that you just can't do until the game starts, which keep you to tell probably if you're really quick or if the game is short and it only has like three goals. So it's a quick write-up. You're probably out of there by 11 longer game. You're out of there by midnight. So I, I managed to shave an hour or two off of my 
my 1 a.m. departure those first few games, which it's amazing what an hour of sleep will, will do for you when you're getting back to the arena on a back-to-back at 7 a.m. the next morning. I couldn't do that. Wow. <laughs> that, that's quite the sacrifice. You must really want this, huh? More than just about anything in my life. There are a few things that are above it, but there's not many. I got two questions. Who were your mentors? And then I'll follow up, but who were your mentors or who are some people that helped you get to where you are right now? Well, my dad is the first one that comes to mind, Eric. He used to call me after every game I played. He calls me after every game I I broadcast now, and then we break it down. And to have somebody that has inside knowledge about the business has been, it has been so precious to me because to have that close of a relationship of someone who I can call text at any given time and they will get back to me almost immediately that has the knowledge that he has. And granted, it's not as much play-by-play, but just media and sports and, and how to operate and what to do and how to put together videos and that kind of knowledge. That's something you usually have to build years and years with some kind of an actual mentor that you meet through the business. So to have, he's number one, there's no question about it. Um, I would not be anywhere near where I am today without his tutelage and his guidance and his support because there's bad times too. There's, there's like the night when you get back at 1am and you have to go to the arena at 7am and you're there and you're like, I don't think I can do this again. And he goes, yeah, you can. And then, you know, he walks you through it. So to have that is crucial. Outside of family, um, a guy by the name of Ryan Phelps was big early for me. He was the voice of the Northfield Raiders. I met him when I was at St. Olaf for two years before I transferred to Concordia to finish up um, down in Northfield. And I did color commentary with him there just because I wanted to get in front of a microphone, though I knew I wanted to do play-by-play. And he actually vacated the position the year I graduated. So he called the radio station on my behalf and said, hire him. Um, so I got that job because of him. He's a wonderful person, a great human being, a great family man. And he's a great broadcaster too. He's, he's stepped away from, from play-by-play a little bit, but I know he does it locally in high school in Minnesota sports. Um, and he's a, he's a great dude. Ryan Phelps is the other guy. And then, I mean, Joe O'Donnell, my boss, has, has been huge, especially recently. He has taught me so much, not only about broadcasting at the professional level, but there are so many things about being a professional and dealing with coaches, dealing with players, dealing with front office staff of National Hockey League teams that are all a part of this job that can be a little bit intimidating at times, even for someone, as we talked about earlier, that's been in a, a locker room as much as I have in my life. Never been in a pro locker room. I don't. It's a way different world than anybody can imagine, and it's way more of a job than anybody can imagine. People always said, oh, yeah, pro hockey is a job. Like that's a, that's a common cliche. It really is, and they treat it like a job, like – You'd be amazed at not that there aren't nights where they're pissed off, but like some nights you lose and there isn't a sorry, there isn't a sorry person in the locker, right? Like, because it's such a grind. Like you can't, you can't have the highs and lows of playing a 25 game college schedule at the division three level where you're pretty much just playing for fun. So you care about every game. I cared more than anybody. You can ask Chuck about that. I was a psychopath sometimes about when we'd lose, but guys at this level, it's a job, it's a business. They care about their points. They care about their stats, not just because they want to look good, but because that's what gets them paid. Um, and that's what gets them a contract. So to learn all that and to, to not have to learn that on my feet, but to have Joe take me under his wing and say, listen, here's how this works. Here's how you handle this guy. Here's how you handle this guy. I, I, I can't imagine doing the job that I did last year even half as well without his guidance and his knowledge. And not only that, but just the kindness that he's operated with to me and how much he's taught me has been invaluable to my career. 
I got to imagine you're going to be a hell of a mentor to some someone someday, uh, just from how you feel about these individuals. Obviously, your dad, that's given, but to the other two, that's just great. Just it's all about who you know, right? And uh, oh. hopefully they can help you get to that that next level. So we're out. You mentioned uh, that you would in the backseat of your mother's vehicle, you would do a play by play. And this is going to resonate with literally everyone who's ever played a sport. There's three seconds left in the game. You're right on the goal line. You're shooting, you know, you're throwing the touchdown pass. You're shooting the last shot. I got to imagine your calls as a kid were pretty damn good. And I was hoping (laughs) that you off the cuff, hopefully, you know, you're ready for this, but off the cuff, let's say 10 year old little Benny is about to shoot, score the game winning goal. How does that sound? We'll wrap it up with that last one. What, what kind of, what, what is this a championship game? Whatever you, you want. Know, is it a hat trick goal? It's game seven. Yeah. Game seven, Stanley cup overtime. You have two goals going for the third. I can't do a Stanley. I, I can't do a Stanley cup final game. Cause I, I can't, I can't, use that call right now. I got to use that call when I get okay. to do that. Game Pee-wee State point. Championship. So yeah. Pee-wee State Stay, Championship. There you go. Okay, so I would have I played for the Burnsville Blaze, Pee-wees. Let's say we're playing the Centennial Cougars in the state final. All right. I would have been a defenseman. So I got to think of some other names of some teammates too. Um all right, I got it here. 10 seconds to go. Puck in the left-hand corner. Mosey chasing after it. State finals on the line. Mosey to the point. Gislason walks to the middle, unloads, and scores! Ben Gislason, the state championship on the line, and he delivers! The Burnsville Blaze are your 2006 PWA state champions! Phenomenal! That was amazing! That, that never amazing. happened. We never got close to it, even like a sectional <laughs> in, in Wee's, and I think I had like two goals in Wee's. <laughs> Well, so, I was going to say, you're playing the yeah, Cougars, so a, obviously it would have last. <laughs> yeah, we, we would have. You guys were all over the state tournament. We we could never get past Edina, Minnetonka, Eden Prairie, you name it. That late conference was a disaster. Well, I think we can probably wrap it up there, unless you guys have anything else. All right, well, I just want to say on behalf of our editor, Drago, that for you being so well-spoken, this is going to be very minimally edited. So our sincerest thank you. And this was just awesome, man. We really appreciate you coming on. I was looking forward to it all week, guys. I, it, I, like I said, I, I have listened to the show. I'm not caught up, but I have really enjoyed it. And I would also say the one thing I noted about five episodes in, you guys turned a corner as podcasters, I think. like Not that you were completely disheveled to start, but I've, I, I can tell just like I've talked about repetition, right? you guys are starting to turn some corners and there's that much more polish to it. And I think the sky is the limit for life through our lens. Oh, we're going to have to clip that. (laughs) That's the new intro right there. (laughs) I I think so. Well, we appreciate that as well. And I think the message today from this episode and this interview is, I mean, it's cliche. It's stupid as it sounds. Chase your dreams, guys. Why not? I mean, that is, you are grinding right now and I know it's all going to pay off, but, 90 hour weeks, no thanks. I and that was that, one time, one time, but still, <laughs> don't like work 90 hour week yeah. every week. But it's not from what it sounds like, it you're working OT. All right, in my world, you'd be working getting some OT, you could be getting some nice fat paychecks from the OT. Well, and just to put that into perspective, like my wife's a doctor and they get capped at 80, so they like 
literally can't work. So Giss is putting in more time than that. The thing too to keep in mind, guys, is broadcasters are notorious exaggerators and they also suck at math. So I very well could have got 90 wrong. Um, I mean, it's not far from it, but I, mean, I feel like at some point someone's going to go like, you don't, you're full of it. You don't work 90 hours. I feel like it was, but I could be wrong on that. So maybe I'll, I'll, I don't punch in or punch out. Maybe, maybe first week of the season, I'll punch in and punch out and see what, see what I can get you guys back. And then we can officially corroborate the story. If I can, if I can get that 90 hour clip, although I hope I don't have to do that. Lord, no, I don't want to do it. Well, right on. Let's get some people watching some of your calls. I know you're all, all over Twitter and obviously you do a lot with social media. And then I would like to, once the season starts, whenever your first call is, we'll do our due, due, wow, due diligence. See, I'd be a terrible, terrible broadcaster to spread the word and have everyone tune in. I appreciate that, guys. First way, if you wanted to get a hold of me, would probably be Twitter. It's at voice of Benny G. Um, that's the Twitter handle. DM, shoot me a comment, whatever, if you want to say hi. And, um, or if there, you know, for some reasons, anybody that, that is listening, that is interested in broadcasting, you know, a young kid or not, or an older, an older person too, like I'm happy to always happy to help and, and give back, you know, the other, the other way at Iowa wild, um, on Twitter, we, we we have a great Twitter. Our, our, uh, our social media coordinator, Lauren Ferguson is, is a real talent. She's a great job at it. That's a great follow. A lot of dog pictures. We love we love uh, posting dog pictures, which is great. If you're if you're in it for for only the dogs, it's still worth the follow, even if you don't like hockey. And then uh, watching our games, unfortunately, you do have to pay to watch on the on the stream AHL uh, TV. Um, you can do them game by game. So if you wanted to pony up and and purchase one for a game, you could do so. Otherwise, you can listen for free on the iHeartRadio app. Our games are on the radio here in town on 1460 AM and 106.3 FM KXNO Radio. You can tell I've said that a few times over and over again during broadcasts. Um, but so you can go to iHeartRadio and uh, you can find, you can search that and find the games and you can listen to that for free. I know we will, without a doubt. And I have listened to it. I listened to a couple of Buccaneers games for sure. It was sweet. That'll wrap up this awesome interview and an episode of Life Through Our Lens. Once again, thank you to Giss. Everyone, make sure we check them out, give them some support, and spread the word, you freaking turds. Take care easy. There's really not a whole lot to add after that. Giss, thank you so much for coming on. A true friend of the show. We're going to have to have you back on for sure, and we wish you nothing but the best of luck this season. And I don't think I'm the only one who thinks this. It's not a matter of if you make it to the NHL, it's when. So next week, we're going with part two of 30 before 30, and that's all I got. So like Bob Cole took out Maple Leaf Gardens, Giss, take it away. We'll see you next Wednesday. Bye. On his backhand, to the right point, Chafee spins to his forehand, marches back down the far wall. Chafee, bottom of the right circle, pirouettes back, looks to center. He had Duhame parked right in front of Nagel, couldn't get it to him. Outside of the right circle with the power play expiring. Goes to the point, left circle now. Here's Dewar, he'll fake and shoot, he scores!